Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. This morning, we, we're jumping back into the Gospel of Mark, and I think what's really cool about this morning is that it feels like a continuation of the, the last couple Sundays because of the, the text we're in and where we are in the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, you know, really what, what Jesus does is today as we begin to unpack this, um, we unpack the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, and Jesus answers that question. And, and, and in the next few weeks, the passages that come after, um, Jesus really does clarify what it means to follow him. Um, Today, if, if somebody tells you they're a Christian um, because of the, the lack of understanding in words, it, it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Um, if somebody says, well, I'm a Christian, well, we're not really sure what that means uh, because it can mean a number of different things and it can mean nothing. Um, you know, growing up when I was younger, there was kind of two descriptions of Christians if, if you're uh, old enough to remember this, it was you're either a carnal Christian or a spiritual Christian. Anybody remember that? And that if you were a carnal Christian, it meant that you really weren't making choices that, 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 that really followed Jesus. But, but you know, you're, you're kind of there. But if you were a spiritual Christian, you were making the good choices. And today we've got people who would tag on different things to, to Christian, like, well, I'm an evangelical Christian, or I'm a mainline Protestant Christian, or a fundamental Christian, or a progressive Christian, or a liberal Christian, or a conservative Christian. Um, I think the most helpful designation of whether or not you're really, uh, you really love Jesus or you're a Christian is uh, if you don't forward this, then you're not a Christian. Um, that's my favorite one. I think that just brings such clarity to the whole conversation. And uh, so, you know, it's simple. Like, if I didn't forward it, then oh, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> um, or I didn't have the courage to forward it or whatever. And so it's just, I, you know, it's just is so great that we have such clarity in today's world that we can nail this down. Um, here's the bottom line, though. It doesn't matter what word accompanies that. It doesn't matter what description there is. Regardless of the descriptor attached to Christian, the bottom line is this, is that Jesus calls those who follow him to be like him and to participate with him in his mission. There's two things. It's to become more like him and to be a participant in his mission. It's not just to become like him and then let him do his thing. And it's not just to, to go on a mission and not change to become like him. It's both of those things. It's to become like Jesus and to be part of the mission, to be a participant in that mission. And so the reality is that regardless of if you say, yeah, well, you know, I, I really came from a rough background and, and I, I made a lot of bad choices and I enjoyed those bad choices and, and just, I, you know, pretty far away from anything good. And, or if you said, you know, I, you know, kind of grew up with kind of 
you know, I, I feel like I have kind of a boring testimony because I, 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 don't have, I didn't do a lot of things. And, and regardless of which of those people you are or which way you bend, no one comes to Jesus that doesn't require radical change in their thinking and their behavior. No one. Doesn't matter who they are. No one comes to Jesus without requiring a radical change in their thinking and behavior. I think for me, the closer I get to Jesus, the less I trust myself. And I think that's maybe something that we need to ponder for a second, just because we, we need to recognize that as we, we progressively become more like Jesus, as we pursue him, we need to also remember that our thinking still isn't going to be directly in line with him. Our opinions aren't going to be, our, our wisdom is not going, we can rely on him more and more and more, but, but we need to remember, I think the more I see Jesus clearly, the more I see how untrustworthy I am. Because we all require that change. And so, and so if you have your Bibles, turn to, to Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31. And uh, the, first, the first three words in verse 31 signify a change, a new theme that Mark's going to be focusing on through the end of the gospel. So the first three words in, in chapter 8, verse 31 uh, say this, and he began. So in other words, Jesus began something different, a different focus, a different theme, a, a different area for us to look at and begin to wrestle with and, and begin to put on. And, and, and so this is a new theme that Jesus is really going to start nailing home in the gospel. And basically, this new theme is his talking about his rejection and his death. Now, typically... When somebody starts talking about being rejected and their death, we have reason to be concerned about them. I mean, that just makes sense. If someone starts talking that way, we're concerned and we want to ask questions. But Jesus is neither gloomy nor fatalistic in this moment where he begins this thematic talking about death and rejection. Jesus' language of death is not meaningless or, or, or connected to like a tragic fate, but it is freely accepted and purposeful. And so what we know from Scripture and what Jesus is beginning to clearly and plainly communicate with his disciples is that, is that the death of Jesus is necessary and it is the means of fulfilling his messianic mission. That, that the death of Jesus, and we know this from Scripture, comes not as the triumph of the opposition, but as the fulfillment of God's divine purpose. That's the purpose in, in, in the, the death of Jesus. And so he begins to talk about this, this, this idea of death for life and life for death, and, 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 and he starts to talk to his disciples and, and keeps coming back to this. And here's what's interesting about this as Jesus begins to talk. Not only was Jesus sharing his destiny or his mission or his purpose with his disciples at that moment, but he was helping them understand, he was calling them into to see that they are also called into this thematic thing as well. 
that in their own lives that they would see, if they were following him, they would see a similar thing emerge. And so in, in Mark chapter 8, we begin in verse 31, and uh, here's, here's, what, here's what we catch up with. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. I think it's interesting that Mark chooses to make a distinction because earlier Jesus intentionally taught in parables that were hard to grasp and you really had to chase after it and really do some surrendering and come at it in in humility so you could understand the parable. But here it says, Jesus is not talking in parables to the disciples. He's speaking plainly to them, clearly, unhidden. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so, and so here, Jesus announces his rejection, death, but also his resurrection, which seems like that just wasn't something that, that maybe landed on the disciples in that moment. And, and, and I think they were caught up on something because, because talk of rejection and death was something that the Jews would not have expected the Messiah to be talking about. Because they had this idea, this image of what the Messiah would look like and what the Messiah would do because the Messiah is going to come and he's going to conquer Rome and he's going to free the, the Jews and he's going to bring the, the, the Israelites back into favor and advantage but they weren't expecting to hear the Messiah talk about death. And and so in this passage, it says that that he must die, that he says that he has to die, that he's going to die. And and so this this absolute in Jesus' death is, is about the divine purpose revealed in Scripture rather than the inevitability of Palestinian politics. Because you could look at this and say, well, why is Jesus going to die? Why is he going to be crucified? Well, because he's upset the religious leaders in Israel, and he would eventually, because of his charisma and his following, become a danger to Rome. And so, inevitably, the Palestinian politics of that day would require the death of this person. But we have to remember that it's not the inevitability of those Palestinian politics, but it is actually the divine purpose that was already revealed in Scripture. And I think we need to remember that now in our lives, that what happens around us is not the inevitability of the political landscape. It is actually part of the design and plan of God for his people and for salvation. We need to remember that's the case. And it could look like it's not the case. It could look dark. For the disciples, of course, it makes no sense that Jesus would be killed. But that was the divine plan of God. And and, and so Peter, 
Peter hears Jesus say this and, 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 and here the disciples are there. And I'm, I'm sure that the disciples are kind of looking at each other saying, okay, whoa, 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 this is not what we signed up for. And there's no way Jesus is going to die. That doesn't make any sense. We're part of a movement that, that cannot be stopped. And so Peter speaking really on behalf of the 12 rejects Jesus' announcement. He says, no, 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 Jesus. And, and I feel like, you know, Peter's kind of riding high because he, he just said something really impressive and got recognized among the 12 just a few verses ago, just a few seconds ago. And so Peter's kind of riding high. So I, I feel like Peter's that, that place of kind of like, Jesus, I appreciate your thoughts, but not on my watch. Like, that's not going to happen. I'm here, Jesus. Don't worry about it. Like, I won't let that happen. Not on my watch. And, and I think, and I think Peter, Peter was likely concerned about Jesus, but I think there's this other thing that we have to recognize because Peter was human. And all of us with human nature, whatever we're going for, whatever we're defending, whatever we're doing, we might care about that. But let's remember that a deep motivation inside of us is self-preservation. We may believe in certain causes and certain things, but let's remember that there is a very much an internal motive that we also care about ourselves, we're concerned about ourselves, and we want to preserve ourselves and the things that we like and are comfortable with. Because, you know, later in the gospel, Peter makes a statement when Jesus, again, is thematically talking about his death. Peter says, we've lost, we've left everything for you, which displays and, and, and kind of portrays that Peter's saying, whoa, 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 I put all my eggs in your basket, Jesus. I'm, I'm hoping that pays off for me. I mean, I'm all about this mission that we're on, but I'm also about, about my own self-preservation and, and making sure I have what I need. And, and so, and so Peter, Peter says this to Jesus, and it's interesting because Jesus doesn't take Peter aside and kind of like, hey, hey, Peter, come here for a second. You know, that's, I appreciate it, but, and I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other disciples, but I just, I think you need to just hold on for a second. You know, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want you to feel dumb, but that's not where we're going. But instead, Jesus, in the presence of all the other disciples, rebukes Peter. And, and the reason he did that was because he knew what was in the minds and the hearts and really the, the, the little conversations with the disciples because the disciples were all thinking what Peter was thinking. Like, no, 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 we're not about this. We're not okay with this. This cannot be the way. And so Satan or, or Peter just becomes the spokesperson for the rest of the disciples. And so Jesus publicly in front of the rest of the disciples rebukes Peter and he rebukes Peter with the most severe rebuke that you could ever give someone. He doesn't say like, oh, Peter, you're off base. You're not thinking right. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. Like, okay, so, so, you're, so imagine you're with Jesus and you say something and he doesn't say like, oh man, that was off color. Oh, that was inappropriate. Or, you know, that wasn't as funny as you thought it was. Get behind me, Satan. Like, that's got to be depressing. I mean, that's, got, that's pretty severe. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus describes Peter then as having human thoughts, thinking the thoughts of man rather than the thoughts of God. But, 
but that his thoughts are so at odds with God's plan that they, that they are attached to a more supernatural source. He's, he's saying, Peter, you are being influenced and you are acting as a spokesman for the spiritual beings warring against God himself. That's how wrong what you said was. <laughs> That's how not connecting to, to God's plan what you just said is. And, and, here, and here's the thing. I, I think Peter is representing the, the idea or the plan that Israel had for the Messiah when, when he shows up. That, 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 that Peter, Peter really is representing what the, the, the Israelites really thought was going to happen, that Jesus, that, that the Messiah would show up and, and he would do all these things. He certainly wouldn't be defeated in death. So Peter's representing what everyone expected, but Jesus is actually living out the plan of God in his life. And you see, sometimes we can have two or more decent ideas and, and, you know, you can say, okay, well, we've, we've, okay, well, how do we want to do this? How, how, and, and we've got like nine ideas. Some of them are better than others, but, and, and let's say maybe four of them are actually all kind of good ideas, but, but they're not all, they're a little bit competing good ideas. Does that, you, you've been in that situation where there's good competing ideas. You could do any one of them and you can probably get to some degree to the same, the same ends. That's not the situation here. These are not two ideas, Jesus' death or defending Jesus' life. Those are not two competing good ideas. The problem here is that they're not beneficial competing loyalties, but they're incompatible ideologies of a human perspective which cannot grasp the divine perspective. That Peter is incapable of seeing through the eyes of God. He can't. He just can't see it. He, he doesn't. And so Peter's idea is not just a competing good idea. It's the worst idea. It's actually an evil idea. It's an idea that, that would benefit all the power of hell. And, and, and here's the thing. The season that we've been in, that we are in right now, has a bunch of human solutions. And the, the problem with where we are today is that we are applying human wisdom and human greed and it cannot grasp the divine purpose without seeing through the perspective of God. The problem that we face today is that we are trying to make human solutions and applying human wisdom and all that comes with it. And just like Peter, we, are, we don't realize the divine purpose in what's going on around us. See, as I said, just a few minutes ago, in the context of the conversation with Jesus and the disciples, Jesus asked the disciples in, in verse 29, he says, who do they say that I am? And all of them kind of hem and haw and, and give different answers. And Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, you nailed it, Peter. He says, and upon this rock, this reality, this truth, the church will be built. And so Peter's kind of like, yeah. I'm glad I spoke up 
and answered that question. So he's feeling really good about himself because he was just even like set aside from all the other disciples and you nailed it, you got it. And, and Jesus even said that on this rock, he's going to build the church. And, you know, I mean, rock is kind of my name. So, you know, that, that kind of works out. So like, I'm, I'm pretty significant here. And so Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter's kind of like, oh, guys, guys, let me handle this. I've already given a great answer. Let me give another great answer. <laughs> Watch this. Jesus, nope. They'll have to get through me to get to you. And so Peter's expecting perhaps another commendation. Uh, man, okay, we already built a church on one rock. On this rock, we're going to build all of civilization. <laughs> like, that's what Peter's hoping for, that he's thinking. And, and Jesus responds. And Peter experiences his lowest point that he will experience until he denies Jesus three times at the crucifixion. Jesus literally says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And, 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 and here's, here's the thing that we have to recognize in this. We have to understand this. This is critical. A person can be right about Jesus and even celebrated, but can also, at that exact moment, be stuck in a hostile worldview toward the mission of God. You see, Peter was exactly right about who Jesus was. Yet he was stuck in a hostile worldview toward the mission that Jesus had placed flesh for. It is really easy for us to be right about Jesus, yet move forward with behavior and language and a worldview that is in direct opposition to the accomplishment of God's divine plan. If that happened to Peter, why can't that happen to you? Am I that much better than Peter that I wouldn't get stuck in that? And, and, and I think we need to be careful. You see, you can be for all the right causes, but be in direct opposition with God's purposes. There's a bigger picture that we so often don't grasp. And, and, so, and so here, there's this first part of the passage where Jesus is talking with his disciples, and, and apparently there's a crowd that is maybe outside of earshot. They're, they're not really part of this conversation. They're not involved in it. In fact, they, they probably are wondering, hey, I wonder what's going on. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? And, and, and so here in, in verse 34, Jesus actually shifts his focus, and in 34 it says, in calling the crowd to him, so apparently the crowd, there's a crowd around, but he called them. He said, okay, I want everyone to come closer. He says, I want everyone closer. It says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for a soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And so Jesus invites the crowd around and here's why I think Mark makes note of this. He says, I want everyone to come around. What Jesus is about to say when he invites the crowd in to come closer, what he's saying here does not apply only to the 12, to the elite, to the pastors, to the Bible study leaders. But what he's about to say applies to every single person, anyone who wants to follow Jesus. There's no tears of, well, these are the ones who are following Jesus at this level, and these are the ones that are following at this level. No, this is a one-size-fits-all. These are essential elements of discipleship, the bottom line. And so Jesus goes on and he says, if anyone would follow me, anyone, he's talking to the crowd, including his disciples, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself. So, so deny himself, what, is, what does that look like? What does that mean that, that he says basically that, that, that we in, in self-denial have to refuse to be guided by my own interest to surrender control of my destiny for the interest of Jesus and the gospel. He says for, for my sake, for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel. This is a radical abandonment of my own identity and my self-determination. And and our identity and self-determination is huge for us. We are born defenders of our own identity and self-determination. You see, this this thing that Jesus says about self-denial and following him, this is at extreme odds with the my truth culture. You've probably heard, we live in a culture and a society where it's all about my truth. My truth and your truth. My truth about me, about who I am, about who, who I need to be, who I, who I should be. And it's, it's about me and it's about my truth and, and I am the one who determines that. And it's okay, you can have your truth too, but it's all about you. And there's really, there's no boundaries to that. Yet Jesus says to deny yourself, which is, which cannot exist. It's another one, of those, another one of those things that is an incompatible ideology. You can either deny yourself or have your own truth. You can't have both. And so what Jesus says here is that life is not actually about being me, but becoming like Jesus. And, and here's the thing about denying ourselves. Denying myself is, is actually more than like giving up chocolate for Lent. You see, it is not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of self itself. That, that was almost a Dr. Seuss sentence, so let me unpack that. <laughs> 
Self-denial is not about me saying, well, I'm going I'm I'm to deny these creature comforts or I'm going to deny myself these opportunities. They are actually saying, Matt denies Matt. My desires and my passions and my hopes and my dreams and my plans, I have to deny those for Jesus' sake and the sake of the gospel. And, and see, again, the world says, no, 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 Matt determines what Matt does because Matt's the boss. But Jesus says, no, 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 Matt denies himself if Matt wants to follow me. If you want to follow Jesus, Jesus says you have to deny yourself. And that is a hard thing. Because like I said, we are born defenders of ourselves. And I love that Jesus says this here because it's a direct illustration of what, he just, what just happened with Peter. Because Peter was not denying himself. He was saying, no, no, no. It is not in my best interest that Jesus, you die, so I'm going to defend you. Jesus says, no, no, Peter, you need to deny Peter right now. And ironically, later, he denies Jesus. <laughs> but, but then he says, Die, he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And here's the thing. We, we, I think we have such a wrong notion of what taking up our crosses are. I think we've domesticated the taking up of the cross. Because you see, taking up the cross here where Jesus says, take up your cross, is not about the normal frustrations of life. For example, I have an anger problem. And me fighting that, that's, that's my cross to bear. That's, I'm taking up my cross by working on my anger problem. Guess who has anger problems? Most of the world, both Christian and non-Christians. So is a non-Christian going to anger management, are they taking up their cross for Jesus? No. That is a normal thing that we as human beings deal with. And, and so really me working on myself is not taking up the cross for Jesus' sake and the sake of the gospel. The hardships that we face in life, while they are legitimately hard and difficult, they are not all taking up our crosses. Things that are a result of a sinful environment is not taking up my cross. What has happened to me in the midst of covid is not necessarily me bearing a cross because everyone has experienced it. And it's not because of the name of Jesus that I am suffering or because of the gospel, my participation in the gospel. Bearing my cross is a sacrifice to become like Jesus and to participate in the gospel mission. That's what bearing my cross is. So maybe if, if you have given something up, if you've sacrificed something during this time for Jesus, if you've denied yourself on behalf of Jesus, because of Jesus, and for the sake of the gospel message, the good news that there's salvation in Christ, then it's possible that that might be you bearing your cross because you had to do it 
for the sake of Jesus. So he says, if anyone would want to follow me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow, continue following. So there's that idea of keep following. It's progressive. It's keep denying and keep taking up. Keep going. And, and so Jesus gives what I would, you know, what I would say is just this, he, he gives this, this basics, this demand of discipleship that is applied to all people. And then in verse 35, he begins to talk a little bit more and, 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 he, and he basically explains why. Why in verse 35, he says, he says, uh, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, our, our lives depend on discipleship, depend on denying ourselves and depend on taking up our cross. The call is to the extent of giving up your physical life on account of Jesus. And this includes the loss of privilege or advantage or reputation or comfort and the like, but it extends all the way to being willing to say, you know what, I will deny myself all the way to death for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Nothing is held back. Nothing is off limits. And so you think, well, if I'm not living for myself, then, then what, what, what am I living for? What, 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 do, what do I live for then? We live for two things, and that is to imitate Jesus, to become like Jesus, to be transformed to be like Jesus, and secondly, to participate in the mission, the good news. Those are the two top things and again, it can't just be one or the other. It can't be, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life being discipled and, and becoming like Jesus and learning more about how to be like Jesus and ignore the mission of the gospel, which is the salvation of the lost. In the same way, we can't say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue the lost and, and, and I'm going to make my whole life about pursuing the lost to, to, to preach salvation, but do nothing to change who I am to become more like Jesus. We're missing the point again both of those things. It's not merely imitation, but it's participation. It's imitation, becoming a deeper disciple, and it's participation, evangelism. That's what following Jesus is. That's how Jesus defines following Jesus. And so then he, he, he kind of reinforces it, and in verse 36 he says, he says, for what does, a profit, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? In other words, how much is the human soul worth? What is it valued at? He says, what, what does it mean if you gain the whole world? In other words, the height of human ambition and achievement measured in terms of my earthly life. What is that worth compared to my soul? Nothing on earth can compensate for the loss of one's soul. And so that's why Jesus says you have to deny yourself and take up your cross because of the value of each individual human soul. And, and, and so that's what, what drives us to live for Jesus and share him urgently and compassionately with others because there is nothing no pursuit, no agenda, no other mission, no cause that is worth as much as a person's soul. 
for eternity. So I guess the question is, is, is whatever I promote on social media worth as much as a person's soul? Is our freedom to do what we want or live in a certain manner worth as much as a person's soul? And I think when this question came to Jesus, Jesus said, no. Jesus said, my rights as God are worth giving up and putting on flesh for a person's soul. That's the example Jesus gives us, and that's what he calls us to. That's the essence of denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following Jesus. And I'm so glad that Jesus found my soul worth that. And then he says, and he says this, just as he kind of, wraps things up. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, good news, times have not changed. (laughs) Jesus calls that a sinful and adulterous generation. We still live in a sinful and adulterous nation, uh, uh, generation. And and, and so he says, "But, but whoever is ashamed of that, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. And see, we have a choice to make as we follow Jesus. We have to decide where we want the shame and we want the honor. It's a choice for every person. Where do you want to be honored? Human society, whatever tribe you're in, the people who you function with, do you want honor in that context? Because if we choose that context, we will most assuredly give up honor from Christ. If we, if we choose the eternal realm and, and the eternal purposes and the divine purposes of God, then we may lose some or all of the honor from, from our tribe and our human connections, but we have what matters and what lasts. See, when we deny ourselves and take up our cross, we have assurance that the ultimate power is with God, not with those who may threaten our way of life even unto death. Jesus says in in verse one of chapter nine, he says, some of you here won't taste death until you see the full glory and power of God. Which he wasn't actually talking about some of them like reaching the, the second coming. That's not what, what he was talking about. But, but in, the, in the next passage, he, he, in the next passages, he actually invites a, f- a few of his disciples to go with him. And there's, we reread the transfiguration where Jesus' glory is displayed and his power is displayed. And some of his disciples get to witness that. So he could be referring to that moment that some of his disciples will see him in his glory before they die, or he could even be just referring to Mark 1.15 where, where, where he says the kingdom of God is at hand and they will see the birth of the church and they will see the church grow and, 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 and completely go against all odds and not only exist but thrive throughout every century. That they'll get to see the kingdom come in that way. But, but the point of what Jesus is sharing 
here is, is that this is the way to follow Jesus, defined by Jesus. Because it's so easy for us to look around and hear everybody else's ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm a this Christian, I'm a that Christian. But you know what Jesus defines? He says, here's how you follow me. And, and, and so really, this is the beginning of transformation. This, what Jesus talks about, is the very beginning of transformation. And self-denial is not about things, but it's about surrender and humility. So to deny myself begins with recognition that my bias is for me and all my thoughts and my reactions must be suspected rebels. And not the good kind of rebels like Ezra and Ahsoka. These are bad rebels. And that, that every thought I have, I need to be suspect of it because it is in rebellion against God. And I need to deny myself in those moments. Taking up my cross, it's not about the hardness of life or the effects of living on a fractured planet of sin, which is hard. But, but to take up my cross begins with the positive action of choosing the way of Jesus regardless of what it costs me. You see, transformation begins for every person with more frequent no's to their natural desires and a growing yeses to acting out the revealed character of Jesus. And I want to tell you right now that this is impossible. <laughs> it is impossible for us to deny ourselves and to take up a cross for Jesus and the gospel. And over the next few passages, we will see Jesus' disciples not just trying to wrap their heads around this, but kind of trying to redefine it. And Jesus constantly repeating himself about his death and about what this is going to take and the sake of Jesus and the sake of the gospel. And eventually what Jesus will reveal is that this is, you're right, this is impossible for us. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. It all begins to a place that we have to be dependent and reliant on God. Because the only way we can truly deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus is through the power that he gives us. We can't do it on our own. We have to trust and depend on him in surrender and humility. I want to invite the the team back up and, and we're going we're gonna to share communion together this morning. And this is really all about what we recognize when we remember, when we practice communion together. If you fast forward from this moment where Jesus tells of his death to the disciples and they're against it, then, then you fast forward to this moment in the upper room where Jesus is, is having a meal with his disciples and Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. And they've got they've to get it at this point because he's been talking since chapter eight about his death. And then he takes the, the cup and he passes and he says, this is my blood that's shed for you. They've got to get it because he's been talking about this constantly. It's been the theme. And he gives it to them. He says, remember me when you do this. Remember that I died 
and gave my life for you. Remember that to follow me, who gave his body and blood for you, remember to deny yourself and take up your cross, which I'm about to do tomorrow, and follow me. So at home, as you have bread and the drink and and here as you have the packet, as we celebrate and we practice communion this morning, my challenge to you is to think of it in the context of following Jesus, that it's a reminder of what Jesus did and what he calls you to, how he defines following him. Because that's what this is all about. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.